0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Program Builders, along with Kevin Lubbers. I'm Donnie Smith. We have a special guest this week, Dave Pilipovich, returning to New Mexico uh, in the coaching role there. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time. Excited to have you on the program. And Coach Lubbers, I know this has uh, been a big influence in your coaching career. Kind of kind of give us a little backstory uh, with you and Dave and the influence that he's had with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we, we met back in Colorado when when Coach, I
1: think at the time, Coach, you were an assistant at mm-hmm. Air Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had just gotten a job coaching there, Division II school in, in the in the Armac, and, and we had, uh, we're looking for a game, always, you know, trying to get those exhibition games to play a level up for us. And they were looking for somebody and we had an opening. So just started scheduling games uh, with them. And, uh, you know, I just had a lot of uh, respect for coach uh from afar and I think I think it might even been my first year there you you took over right like mid-season or something yes as correct. coach and um yeah so you know we played the games which was fun but to me the fun part was when we get a chance to get together and grab a bite to eat and I could pick his brain a little bit just on on coaching but also just on life and and uh moving forward in this profession so this is a, this is a joy for me to have him on and and uh you know, as the coach, obviously have a lot of respect for you, but, but more so even as the person. And and I think some of that will come out as we we get talking today as well too. So really appreciate you being on coach.
2: Well, no problem. I I appreciate, and thanks so much for having me and coach. Likewise. I mean, we met not a long ago, but some years ago.
1: Yeah. long uh, enough
2: right <laughs> I got the hat on right now a little bit more gray but I was out with coach this morning Patino we played a little bit of golf so uh yeah but uh I enjoyed I enjoyed playing against you not really sometimes but uh because <laughs> you guys were hard to guard and so well coached. but I, I enjoyed our uh, lunches at uh, California Pizza Kitchen a few oh, times right. and, uh, and I always told my wife and our team I thought you made me a better person not only a better coach but and, and I think the relationship part, because we talked about that quite a bit. You know how our relationships with our players and our staffs, and uh, and I thought you were really, really good at that, and made me go back and think maybe some of the things I didn't do that we should do a little bit more. And uh, and I thank you for that. And I think I told you that before, but it, I, I truly appreciated those things.
1: Yeah, and and you know what, along the lines of that, I want to kind of thread that in. You know, you think about your experience. Um, at the academy. And, and I remember you sharing with me what a different flavor that is, probably mm-hmm. in New Mexico, right? And, and yes. Just some of the challenges, right? With like you may want to hold on to a guy after practice and talk with them and, and put your arm around it, but you just couldn't, right? Because you had yes. so much, yes, so much rigidity in their day. Talk to us a little bit about just what that was like.
2: You know, you're exactly right. It it was a great place to be and a great place to coach. And then the young men and women that we were involved and had a chance to mentor and coach. But the hardest part was your restriction on your time. You know, you couldn't just get them at different parts of the day and maybe visit with them or take them to lunch or have them over your house because their schedule was so regimented. And then they the younger they were at the academy the less leniency they had to do other things so that was hard and uh so really the time you had you had to take pretty much valuable the the time you had was very valuable but you had to make sure you got everything in in a short period of time and that was the only thing i uh, i wish was different because you could spend more time with players as you know at a traditional place you have those opportunities But some of the young men that we had are doing some really neat things. There's a matter of fact, uh, one player, Hayden Graham, who played for us, who's here up the road in Kirtland in in Albuquerque working now. So it's neat to connect with him. Had lunch with him a few months ago, and uh, when I was here the first time. And uh, so it's neat to see them. They're flying fighter jets. They're uh, uh, in missiles. We had two players who couldn't never find their way out of the locker room. They got lost so many times or lost their wallets and were the sloppiest players we had, and now they're secret uh, uh, service guys in, in uh, special ops in the Air Force and got special permission to do different things. I said, oh, my gosh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> oh, that's funny.
0: Talk to us about what it's like uh, recruiting to the service academies, obviously, especially at Air Force. Uh, you know That 6'10 kid looks really good on the basketball court, but maybe not so much getting into an F-18. What were some of the challenges that you went through in trying to get guys to Air Force?
2: You know, the challenges were the academics, first and foremost. Your uh, recruiting pool was shrunken a lot because of the academics. I mean, it was a high academic. it was on the scale of an Ivy League. Entrance exam to get in, entrance requirements, I should say, to get in. So that really cut our recruiting pool down quite a bit. And then also at the academies, not just Air Force, but West Point and Navy, it's very stringent on your medical background. So an allergy, a broken bone that maybe didn't heal properly, uh, maybe some medication you're on for whatever it may be, those were DQs, as they said, disqualifiers, and you couldn't get in. And then your eyesight was a big thing at the academy. Uh, vision because they admit everybody on the assumption that they're going to be pilots. Not, they're not all, but you have to be pilot qualified. And if your vision was certain or astigmatism, whatever it may be, you couldn't get in. And it's funny because it, last year I was in the G league with the San Antonio Spurs and recruited a young man, Macy Oteague, who ended up going from Ohio, who ended up going to North Carolina, Asheville, played a year there and had a tremendous freshman year with the university of Baylor and won a national championship was drafted by the Jazz and was playing for their G League team. And prior to the game, I went up to him at half court and I said, uh, you know, Matthew, uh, and he said, hello. And I said, let me ask you this, who recruited you out of high school? And he said, and he looked at me and said, Oh my gosh, Air Force. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, that was a, a unique visit. He said, my mom and dad loved it. I hated it.
1: <laughs> I,
2: said, I said, what didn't you like? He said, Well, you know, when you assigned me to a player and you told me to see everything they do. And we got up and we went to class and we went to lunch. Then I saw them crawling around in mud and running an obstacle course. And I said, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, that was Friday. You stayed a Sunday. He said, Oh, yeah. He said, I had a good time. We <laughs> ate well. We enjoyed our time around, went to a football game. He said, but I knew right then that wasn't me. He said, but yeah. I think about it to this day. He said, it would have been neat to fly a plane. You know, and do some things for our country," he said. At that time, I just couldn't see myself doing it. Now, maybe. And I said, "Well, I think you decided on some good things." I said, "You won a national championship. Now you're part of an NBA franchise." But it's neat to hear those things and talk about it. Um, it was just, it was just really challenging. But when you end up getting the young man to come, you got a pretty neat product there.
1: Yeah, one of the things he didn't tell you, coach, is that you know you told him to shadow him all the way through Sunday. Friday afternoon, he pulled the plug on that, and just you know, he just hung out the rest of the weekend.
2: <laughs> You're exactly right. Not that You're that's exactly right. Caught the
1: football game, but that's <laughs> about it. So, tell tell us a little bit about just kind of your you know um, from Air Force, and I know you were in Donnie's world for a little bit, right? Doing some broadcasting stuff,
2: and did, and did a little here, bit of
1: that, uh... and then and then end up with the Spurs, right? Maybe, yes. maybe maybe tie that together for us. I know some of the connection there, but I'd love to hear just from you about what that process was.
2: Well, was looking to do some more TV stuff, maybe with CBS Sports or probably ESPN games or even the Fox network. And uh, and then I got a call from Coach Pop at the Spurs. And Coach Pop's an Air Force grad. And I developed a little bit of a relationship with him, my time at Air Force. And he was so good to us when we were there. And uh, he called and said, what's your next step? What are you doing? And I said, Coach, I don't know right now. He said, well, I don't know if this can guarantee anything or anything will come out of this. He goes, why don't you come down? be a part of our staff as they call workshops and their workshops are th- four to five days, maybe two, three weeks in June, a couple in July. And they bring their first year, second year, and third year players in and it's basically 40, 50 minutes of station work. So yeah. two on two defensive stuff, offense stuff. And then it's a little bit of some controlled scrimmage, get a chance to work with our guys and our staff, and then be a part of our summer league staff as we go to Utah and Las Vegas, maybe some connects there or some other teams, maybe with us, whatever may. And I loved it. And I did that in June and July. And then we went to Utah first in August and then Las Vegas, mm-hmm. probably gone about 19 days, two different summer leagues, and really learned a lot sitting on the bench practices, film sessions and all that came home, maybe seven to 10 days later, the general manager, Brian Wright called and said, Hey, we're going to have an opening in Austin with our G league team. Would you be interested? We're hiring a head coach not a lot of experience we're going to probably fill in some assistance spots you could really help maybe with some of your experience it'd be a neat opportunity for you and i said i'd love to do it i'd love to do it so uh my wife and i we downsized in colorado got rid of our house or furniture because they housed us as well down there they took care of our housing uh, put furniture in there took care of everything and i truly loved it i loved the organization uh worked for a guy by the name of peter Bozic, who's a serbian uh came from yeah. Serbia five years ago worked with the jazz and the spurs really really good coach but an outstanding person mm-hmm. and he and i hit it off and then we had three other assistants on the staff there uh, our general manager was tyler self who's bill self's son university of okay. kansas head coach yeah, yeah. and um We worked the San Antonio Spurs preseason camp and spent time with them. And then when they went on to their NBA season, we broke away and went to Austin and had our season and played about 54 games, I believe it was. And it was a unique experience. We had some really talented players. We had I think six call-ups during the year and we had uh, Josh Primo, who was the number one draft pick of the Spurs play a half a season with us. And Joe Wieskamp, who was a second round pick from Iowa who played, majority of his time with us Uh, and we just had some really really good players and our job was not just to win games that was probably secondary to be honest the way the Spurs run their G League team it's all about player development and giving those guys those 12 players on a roster an opportunity to play elsewhere and a better opportunity the following season or even later in that season whether that be in the NBA, Europe, wherever it may be and I thought we did a really good job of that. Again, we had six call-ups. We had two that went back over into Europe to play in Greece and Italy. Two went to Puerto Rico. So I think the a 12-10 moved on to play. And that was such a neat thing to be a part of their growth and their development and see where they land.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Was there any adjustment for you going from the college game to the pro game? Was anything? Were there any culture shock moments or anything that you had to do to, to adjust to get ready for that? You know, that's a great question. Yeah, it there, there
2: was. Uh, first and foremost, they're pros and whatever level it is, they are pro and they're getting paid. You're not getting a call, call about a missed class. As coaches, you know, you're not after practice calling recruits. It's just basketball. And I love that part. You wake up in the morning and you watch some film, you go to practice, you meet the staff, you go to practice afterwards, you watch a film and then that's it. Um, you're not worried about the next class coming in uh, housing payment done, a meal plan, a, a missed class, an exam period, any of that. So it's just basketball, basketball, basketball. And then as the game comes on, you it's a little different than a college game. Some of the rules, advancing the ball, calling a timeout, the timeout situations, when you can sub, when you can't. And it, probably I think it was our third game of the year, fourth game of the year, our head coach gets tossed. He has two technicals <laughs> and gets tossed. So I take over and I've got about a quarter and a half and we start to make a run back and I'm trying to sub a guy to free throw to dead the ball so we can set up a press and official looks at me and says, what what are you doing? You can't sub. I said, okay. And then I call a timeout and they said, do you want to reset that? You want to move the ball? And I said, yeah, just put it up there. That's where I want (laughs) it. Where we had it last time, right? Where Where we had had it last, last put it there again. (laughs) And then, and then, You know, in the NBA, even in G League, you have your bench, and then you have like six to eight seats of fans before the scores table. And they're sitting there eating a pizza or nachos and drinking a beer. And in the third quarter, we're starting to make a run, and I'm excited. I turn back to our bench, and here comes one of those guys in the seat, and he's got a tray of of drinks and nachos. He bumps into me, and we spill the drinks. (laughs) And I said, said, this is different now. This is different.
1: (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. They, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I don't remember what year that was. I think I was off coaching for a year, and, and we happened to bump into each other. We are both down there just watching Spurs training camp, just yes. um, taking yes. that in. I don't even remember what year that was. Yes. So that was a while back, but I was telling Donnie about that earlier, and, and uh, you know, I remember Pop even then just took us back in the video room and just yes. – Chopped it up and and now I'm sitting back looking watching the NBA playoffs right now and I'm like Monty was in that room. Yes and Adoka was in that room. Yes. Harry Brown was in that room. And Sammons, who's coaching, was in that room. And I'm just like, holy cow, that was a that was a pretty cool moment or pretty cool just to 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 Uh be in that space. And those guys are so I see why you fit with them because I feel like you're presence and way just has that natural humility and, and caring spirit towards other people, which I, I always observed when I, when I was down there with them. So I could see
2: how you would, he would fit in just, just nice with that organization. So that's well, cool. I, I appreciate fun. that, but you're right about coach pop. He is so warm and welcoming. And yeah. I think a lot of times people see that first quarter, end of quarter interview with him or third quarter, sometimes during the game the act. and he does it just <laughs> to, to do it. But he is such a generous person. And uh, I think after the first practice this year training camp, he called us into that same room and just went over what they were doing, how they're doing. I'm just saying, okay, five national, five NBA championships. He just won a gold medal. He's done, you know, he's one of the best of the best. And he's just kicking around and asking, well, what what did you do with this? When you had those guys marching, they came down and they weren't smiling for you. What did you, you know, and he's just such a good person. And a side note on that, I'll I'll say, uh, and you mentioned our son, you know, worked for USA Basketball. And uh, one of their days off uh, at the Olympics, they went golfing. And our son, Kyle, is a pretty good golfer, likes to golf. And he was golfing with Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Steve Kerr. And uh, the assistant at, at the Celtics, who was still at the Spurs at the time. And um, a group ahead of him was Jay Wright and Zach Levine and a couple of players. And they were on a par four, but it was like 320 yards. And uh, Van Gunny kept saying, Kyle, tee up, tee up. You're not going to hit him. You're not going to hit him. And he said, I didn't think I could. So I teed it up. Kyle did. And he <laughs> put it on the green about two feet away from Zach Levine. Almost hit him. And they looked, and you know, start yelling, and, and fun, and everything. But long story short, they get back to dinner that night, and Van Gundy kept saying, "Kyle won't say a word to Pop. I won't say a word. I won't say a word." Well, they go to dinner, and Van Gundy says, "Pop, Kyle almost killed Levine. We'd lose the gold medal <laughs> down the road." To the <laughs> of the golf ball. And uh, you know, some fun adjusted to that. But uh, Pop is such a good guy, and there's some things that he's got a little dry sense of humor to him at, at times during practices. I'm standing on the court and he's yelling at a player, but he's really having some fun with them and just a unique experience. And I th- I think this, I think he was really rejuvenated this year and he really likes their young roster in San Antonio. And I don't know this, but I think he can coach a few more years because he really likes what they have down there.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really cool. The uh, what about, you know, I think we've talked to a couple other coaches on this about, you know that transition from going from an assistant coach to a head coach spot right mm-hmm. um and now you know tell us about the role you're in now mm-hmm. um and then maybe even just some of the nuance right of like now i guess you're in an assistant coach role now again but but you have all of this knowledge and experience right and uh, and
2: well how is that
1: yeah no but how is that <laughs> different i mean what what is that what has that done for us so maybe talk a little bit about the role you're in now and, and mm-hmm. the kind of lenses you're seeing the, the game and the program through with all that experience
2: you know as a matter of fact coach patino and i talked about that this morning as we were golfing and in when we were assistants you know he was an assistant obviously for two hall of fame coaches you know his dad and billy donovan and uh, pretty good coaches who've won national championships and uh, he said then you move into that head coaching role as we know and you know, sometimes assistance—not in a smart way—but you think you have answers, right? You know, I can do this. We can do this. We can do that. And I told him, I said, for me, when I moved over, not only did I not have the answers, I didn't know the questions again. I said because <laughs> a short move over, right? But when yeah, you yeah. have to make that final decision, wow, right? Yeah. And uh, and then, but now moving back, and you know, I'm a little bit older. You know, I say in the coaching profession, uh, I'm playing the back nine. I don't think I'm on hole 18 yet, but I'm playing the back nine. You know, I like to say still 10 or 11, but you don't get as high. You don't get as low. You know, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as bad as you think you are. And you could pause a little bit when something happens. And maybe 10, 12 years ago, you'd react a little bit too hastily at the time as something develops. Now you can sit back a little bit, take a deep breath and say, okay, that's not working, but let's not, put it aside. Let's continue to do that. We just have to maybe drill it a little different and present it a little different and clean it up and we'll be fine. Or maybe, you know what? I've seen that we've tried it. It's not working. Let's tweak it and do this. You know? So I think maybe I could add that value because yeah. I've been around a little bit. For sure. I, I think in the NBA, this one year, it gave me an idea that really, I think you have to listen to the players a little bit too. And they do that a lot in that league. Um, They trust them because they've been through the process. Don't always do what they say, but they let a little bit more of their input involved. And I think as I grew older as a head coach, I did that as well, too, because as you know, the players are out there playing the game. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they see some things. And your older players, as you probably do as well, you trust them. And you built that relationship. So you, you hear what they say, and you, you take it in, and you say, well, let's give it a shot. Let's look at it. <clears throat> and yeah, it gives them some ownership. So, so now coming back into this, and hopefully with some of the other assistants, too, you could add some value because you've been in some situations before, and you know how you handle them, whether it's good or not so good. You could add that value back to a staff.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting you're talking about the, the players, right, and that communication and the relationship piece. We've touched on that early earlier with this. And the other piece that they have that I think is interesting is players are way smarter, I feel like, than, than what they were even 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, like mm-hmm. just simply because of the access of information they have. You know, yes. you have this energy and you have all these different – and, you know, NBA yes. got their own tools and analytics. And, I mean, it's really – they're really smart. Right, you can you can yes. see it in the way the game is played, and so I've i found myself, you know, pausing sometimes, saying, you know, if I don't have a really good answer to that mm-hmm. question you're asking me, mm-hmm. I probably ought to rethink what I'm doing. Yes, you know, because I should have a really well thought out answer, and I, mm-hmm. and I invite those guys to ask us those, those tough questions, and and I yes. should have not in a combative way, but just in a in a professional relationship type way, right? Hey, coach, what what, what are you thinking about this ball screen, why are we doing it that way, right? Okay, I should have a really good answer to that, right? Yeah, uh, I'll be able to show you on film and everything else, so that's cool. What do you, you know, you think back to all these different experiences, and I know you've been a lot of other places besides Air Force, New Mexico, and that's just coaching, right? You've, you've had a lot of yeah. stops along the way. What are maybe the, the three, four, five ingredients that you've seen um, that are those things that really permeate great cultures?
2: You know, I think it goes back to your recruiting process. Um, And I'm a little scared about it moving forward with this transfer portal, because I think back prior to this, you had an opportunity to develop relationships, not only with the players, but their families. And you can see from their situations academically, from their home life, their upbringing, where they're at, do they fit in, obviously. And and you know what type of culture you want, but you want to add to that to build that culture. The relationship part and the time you had, you could do some research, you know? And we always said at Air Force, toughness in shooting. Uh, We wanted some tough players, but we wanted the guys who could make shots on a shot clock and wind down because we probably couldn't get by them, but we could maybe shoot over them, you know? And uh, so that was really key there. We wanted players who came from winning programs. Um, We always thought that if you had success in high school, not necessarily it had to be a state championship, but a conference championship, playing toward a state championship because if you took players who played three or four years in high school and always was six and 18, they're getting used to that. And it's hard to change that. We wanted players that came from programs that played similar. And we mean that maybe man-to-man defensive teams, uh, teams that uh, utilize great ball movement and maybe utilize perimeter shooting. Cause that, again, that's what we took. So we wanted that. Some, uh, players who came from programs who play some some really good high school coaches who had relationships with their players who really did a lot of things as far as summer camps team camps individual camps maybe a, a midseason christmas tournament trip or whatever it may be and and they had that experience because as you know when you get to college you're spending more time with them the season's a little bit longer and you had some summer opportunities with them so you wanted them to be used, be used to that and then the other thing was we always had an academic component in that. Not only the Air Force, but other places, strong students. Now they didn't all have to be four O's or three O's, but did well. But also the biggest thing I would look at a transcript was how many classes they missed or how many days they missed at school. Because you didn't, we didn't want players who missed 30 to 40 days of class or school days. We wanted guys that showed up for work every day. Now, you know, you're going to be sick and you're going to have some circumstance where you're not going to miss, but the tardiness part on that transcript and the day's absence was really big for us because we thought if you were a little bit careless back then, we're not going to change that. Right. And we, and we wanted people to show up every day for work, but we we're going to show up for school every day. So those were the components we wanted to build our culture. That was big
0: for us. It seems like you mentioned the transfer portal. That's allowed teams to kind of add some veteran presence, if you will, relatively quickly between that, the grad transfers. We've still got some kids with COVID years lingering around. Yeah. How has how have those three things kind of affected the culture or college basketball right now as you see it? On a negative part, because I've just been involved here
2: in about uh, two weeks now. Yeah, two weeks, 12 days, but I've been involved with some recruiting with the portal and everything. You don't hear as many academic questions. You don't hear about is, how do I get this, this, and this to advance my for my uh, degree-seeking program? Um, you hear more about the playing part of it. How can this prepare me for the next level? I want to make money to play, whether it be in Europe or be in the NBA. Whether they have that opportunity or not, it's up to them. And it's up to us too to develop that, but they've got maybe one or two more years left and they want to get to that point. But are we talking about, do you want another major? Do you want to get a master's degree? How many classes you want to take? That's not on the first or second or third question being asked. The campus environment. Uh, I'm not going to be here that long anyway. So I'm not really interested in a lot of things on campus. I want to see the weight room, the film room, the locker room, the practice gym, the arena, strength coach, trainer, where you were in the past meeting with academic advisors and deans of departments. Now you're more with a strength coach and a trainer. so it's changed. Not sure I like that part, but that's where we're at. And then the other part, okay, do we have an NIL program? Um, Is there an opportunity to make money off my name, image, and likeness, which they deserve, but that wasn't talked about before. And now maybe you're losing a player because they're getting X amount of dollars here, a few X more here, and we're here. We're not currently going to get that player because they're going to go to where they're making more money. So it's really changed. And then as coach knows, you used to put that board up on your wall, right? Freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors, and see where your program is going to be in two or three years. It's year to year now. Yeah. Year to year. And what I don't like at that is the... Um, the loyalty is not there as much anymore. I mean, we've seen this year in college basketball where players are playing and their dad's either head coach or assistant on a staff and they're going to transfer portal and they're going elsewhere.
0: I
1: mean, come on. I talked to one, I talked to one last week to be named later, but yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, your dad doesn't want you on a team anymore. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's yeah. wow. But yeah. that's where we're heading yeah yeah it's really dynamic and it's it's so fluid too right i mean it's like every day there's there's more yes. and more and and yes i think it's hard because there's still you know i i imagine i just imagine if i'm a high school player right now and i and i'm really talented and, and all those things mm-hmm. to be honest those opportunities are so limited for a high school yes. player right now because even you know even at our level right now mm-hmm. I mean, we have guys transferring from, you know, I'll, I'll use Loyola, our national champ this year at our yes. level. We had a guy go to Ole Miss, Marquette, Texas State. I mean, these aren't chump change schools, right? And it's like there's great players at all levels. So for a high school player to crack in right now is really tricky, with all, especially with all this extra eligibility compounding those other factors you're talking about. It's really a perfect storm. And, and uh, there are some great high school players, but like we – Last year we stockpiled four or five that were like we're just going to grow our roster and take them because we can yes. and redshirt them. But
2: um, you can't do that every single year, like you said. So, um, and, I, and I feel bad like you're saying. I had a high school coach call me yesterday and said he had a talented player, but he's not getting noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, coaches aren't going out as much in the recruiting periods. They're staying right. back and watching a film and recruiting the portal. And and I, I agree with you. I feel sad for some of the high school players because they're not getting those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really become
1: a tricky, tricky landscape for sure. So what, what, tell us a little bit about kind of what your, your day-to-day looks like. So if I'm a, if I'm an average Joe listener to
2: this, what, what does your day-to-day look like now in your new role? You know, it it starts early and probably the first thing is the portal. I mean, you come in and you start seeing, uh, you know, who put their name in, who's still available, who is maneuvering to this spot so now if player a is going to school b then maybe school b will not recruit the player that you were talking about that he had you two as a finalist so it's really the portal um uh, the first and foremost after that it's scheduling uh scheduling games we still need one more game possibly and so much of that has changed because of that as you know you pretty much knew what their roster would be next year. So with the scheduling, if you want to even experienced team, you want to schedule harder. Well, let's go after some people because we know who's going to be their top seven or eight. Now you may not know that roster until August through summer. So you really can't put together a pack and say, coach, here's who they got coming back. Here's who they lost. Here's where their, their net ranking was. And I see we fit in with that. You don't know anymore. So you're taking a gamble if you want to schedule harder or less because that team may completely switch, you know, so that is, and then, and then after you get through that early, then you have some players are still here and you can work out. So now it's individual workouts and putting some time in with them and, and and just checking on them. We're in finals week. So you cross your fingers and you, you're checking grade reports and who's turning up the term paper and all that. So probably after this week, uh, we'll slow down a little bit. Then the last component of that, our video coordinator just left and is going to UMKC, so we're hiring someone else. So, Coach, said, can you throw your hat in there and organize some camp a little bit? <laughs> and I thought I was done with a camp this yeah, Yeah, never, right? It's, never. you know. And it's, and uh,
1: got to be careful when you come to the table with all that experience, Coach. You know,
2: exactly, because you, you know how to do that, man, that. don't you? <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm helping some of our managers and our administrative assistant have to organize camp and order some T-shirts and balls and all those yeah. things. So. But it's neat, you know. You come full circle, um, so it's it, it's uh, it's it's enjoyable, and we have a great staff here that a lot of experience. Uh, our other assistants,
0: and uh, it, it's a neat environment to be around. What's the advice you would give a young assistant coach looking to move up the ladder? If I were to come to you and say, Coach, how do how do I get to where you're at and get to that next level? What, what are the things that I need to do as a young assistant coach to prepare me for what's next and be successful next? That, that is an unbelievable question. And, and I just had that conversation with two of my former
2: assistants who are moving and doing those type of things. I think, and I could be totally wrong, work the job you're in and make that so good and be successful there. And if you're successful there, you'll be noticed. But I think sometimes, unfortunately, some of the assistants who are wanting to climb the ladder, they're constantly looking who's getting fired, who's getting hired and how they can plug themselves in. And it takes away from the time that they should be working the job they're in. Cause I always felt, and I was brought up this way, a head coach hired me. I am loyal to the bone to him and I owe him my best. And my best is being concentrated on that program and those players to make that the best job there is. And if we win, we'll all get opportunities. A couple of years ago, I was at the peach jam, uh, AAU tournament and Thad Mata was still at Ohio state and he had a really talented young assistant who's now a head coach at division one level. And he was interviewing for head coaching jobs and he wasn't getting them. And he was getting a little frustrated. And he said to coach, uh, you know, why? You know, and how can I get that head coaching job? He goes, be patient. You will get it. Be patient. Continue to do what we do. And if we're successful, you'll get those opportunities. He said, but if you know the real reason, I I mean, the the best reason, the best answer, excuse me, that you could get one of those jobs, go down to a level. And I mean, we're in the Big Ten. Go to the MAC, Mid-American Conference. Go to an Ohio U or Miami of Ohio or Kent or Akron. And work that job so good, your head coach gets the next job and you get elevated from an assistant to the head coach. And I thought, he goes, but now you're going to take a pay cut. But if you truly want that opportunity and you think you need to be a head coach in two, three years, that's probably your route. And and he's got a lot of truth to that. Now, he said, you know, unfortunately, those systems aren't going to do that. But you have, I, I just believe you have to work the job you're in and make it successful for everyone and opportunities will come about. What,
1: uh, I'm gonna take that question another direction too. What would you say to a brand new head coach? Somebody, phone just rang, They just got their first head coaching job. I, you and I, you know this and I, I don't yeah. care about the level, right? You yeah. If you're a head coach, it's a job. And, yes. and what, what would you say to that person? You know, uh, that's a, that is a great
2: question as well as we know. Um, take a deep breath.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> relax a little bit, enjoy the moment, because once you start playing games, sometimes it's not as enjoyable. But I think you have to first and foremost develop relationships within your athletic department. Um, You have to have a strong relationship with your athletic director and your associate athletic director or assistant who's in charge of your sport. I think you have to have that relationship because there's gonna be some tough times. Everyone's happy when you're hired, right? And everything is great. But there's going to be some times where he may have or she may have to tell you no because of budgetary reasons. Or you may have to to discipline a player or they may have to because of whatever it may be and you may not agree with it. Or they may direct your schedule in a direction that you may not want. So you have to have that relationship where you can sit down and and they can say, this is what we're going to do. And you can disagree. But when you walk out of the room, you're still having a strong relationship. Because once that relationship goes a little bit sideways, then that's not good. And most likely for the coach, not the AD. (laughs) Um, So I think though, and then you have to develop those relationships with your compliance department so they trust you that you do things the right way with your marketing department, that you're going to help them market your program, but that you also need their help. And you have to work together as a team and your admissions department and your academic advisors and all those things. And then hire your staff. You have to have a staff that's loyal, committed, and hardworking, I think you could sacrifice some basketball knowledge because you can teach that and you, in your meetings. You know, once we go on the floor, we'll teach the screen, ball screen this way, defense, and we'll teach post defense this way. And you can help them and develop them, but they have to be loyal to you in that college or university. So you're all growing together because I think so many staffs sometimes do not win because they're broken from within. So I think you have to have that loyalty with your staff, that relationship part with your athletic department and your all campus community has to be strong and they have to know what you're about and you have to know what they're about. So you can work together. I, and then after that, now you develop and recruit your players, you recruit the players you inherit. And I know coaches sometimes say they're my guys, but they don't believe they are because they want to over recruit after that first year. I don't believe that. I think those are your players. And, and just because someone left doesn't mean they're not good enough or they're not yours. That's your family. Those are your players. You got to love them. Like you recruited them. And if you don't, they know that. And, yep. and they see the falseness of you. And then when you're trying to bring players in, as you know, your players recruit those players once they come to visit. Oh,
1: percent. hundred percent.
2: If you're phony and you're not true and you don't hug them, and yeah. you don't tell them when they're right or wrong and you're, you're phony about it. That doesn't work. And you're off to a
0: bad start. So I think all those things together, that's what you have to do to start. The dynamic in the coaching staff that you mentioned kind of intrigues me. How, how do you go about building that trust and building those relationships with your assistant coaches and, and making sure everybody's on the same page as you get ready to get into a season? I think first and foremost, when you're looking to hire
2: coaches, maybe you can hire coaches you've already worked with. Maybe you were assistants together. Or maybe you were an assistant. And they were a video coordinator, or director of ops, and you really love their work ethic. You love how they live their life. Their lifestyle was conducive to what you do and want in your program. And then if you don't have that pool of candidates, then you look at head coaches that do things the right way and similar to what you want your program to look like. And you can go into their program and say, hey, who do you have? that you would recommend to be a part of ours. And I did that a couple of times with our video coordinator we had. I, I went to the Spurs and I hired two people out of their uh, program of their video room that they recommended and they were unbelievable for us. And they're still in the coaching profession. They've moved on, they're doing great things. And, you know, one day they're gonna be head coaches, but because of the culture they worked in, the work ethic, the way they conducted themselves, the person they were first and foremost, and then the coach they were, uh, were really fitted to how I wanted to do things. so I think if you can go those avenues, I think you have a pretty good idea and some pretty good people that you will be able to hire
1: yeah, and I think your you know your staff coach um you know you always you stay connected to those people too right Over Yes yeah time. even when That's they're true. they move on and even yeah. some of them you know and I know you have former assistants right that aren't even in coaching anymore but yes still yeah. that relationship bond uh, is it really permeates. Uh, the staff in a, in a different way than maybe some other professions, right? It's just you spend yeah. so much time together. Yes. Uh, and there has to be a synergy there. And if there isn't, um, that, then it can get a little tricky even internally with the staff. So I think that those are really good thoughts.
2: And and I always, you know, our staff was part of our family. And, and yeah. you, as you said, we stay in touch with all of them right now. Uh, Drew Long was on our staff eight years ago, called me today, he was in Austin, said, uh, if you were still here, we'd go to lunch, but you're not here anymore. So, uh, he said, I'll be coming through Albuquerque in June. We would be around. I said, yes, we will. But, and I always wanted their families in the office. You know, your wife can come in anytime your kids. If you have young kids, bring them in. That's what we want. You know, if your wife calls and you're sick, uh, your son's sick at home, you need to do go, we'll figure practice out. We'll figure it out. I mean, that's important. That was important to us. And, and I just, I wasn't the one, you know, if we had a coach that had the scout and we didn't win that I blamed him. No, I signed off on how we're going to defend what offense we're going to run. We did it. And as assistants, you didn't sign a player. I didn't sign a player. We signed a player. And those six aren't yours. Those three are yours. Those two are yours. They're all of ours. And if we brought a player in and he didn't meet expectations, I'm not firing you because you brought it. No, we brought him in. We made the mistake. We just, we just thought he would progress a little bit in a way that he did, but that's okay. It doesn't make him a bad person. He's still earning his degree and he's going to be fine, but it was all about we, we, we. And, and, and some coach say, you got to be tougher and you got to be a little bit harder. That's not me. Okay. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, but I'm not going to change. We're all going to work together. We spend too many hours together we have to have some fun about it. Our family's got to be included because, as you know, families suffer during this career because you're not home as much and you miss different things just because you you have to. So we're just going to do it this way, and we hope it works. And if it doesn't, then we didn't hopefully ruin some relationships or some families because of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's good stuff. And I, I know, uh, yeah, like I said, your your staff was always really really good. And sometimes people get lost on this idea of level. Yeah, right? we're where somehow because I'm, I'm, you know, at Division One or I'm, yeah. I'm in the NBA and, and no. you're in Division Three or NAI. Somehow we we, for whatever reason, aren't humans anymore and can't have a relationship, which I no. always find that baffling sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, for anybody that listens to this, uh, Coach Pilipovich and anyone he's ever allowed into his life and in his circle that I've observed um, doesn't roll that way. Uh, It's all about relationships and treating people fairly and and being kind to everybody, no matter what, what level they're at, which uh,
2: uh, I think is is really a testament to who you are as a human being. Well, we appreciate that, but that's just the way you have to do things. And I have utmost respect for coaches at all levels. And I think some of the best X and O guys are not at the division one level, to be honest with you. And, there wasn't a high school basketball practice I didn't go to and to recruit a player that I may jot down a, a real, right. a play, whatever it be. Yeah. And we you know we played each other and we talked about some of the things you yeah. did and screen and spacing and all that. And, uh, you know, sometimes at this level it's about getting the better player. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, the brighter yeah. toy at the end is, is yeah. the, or the fastest car, but uh, the X and O's, uh, I, I think uh, you look elsewhere sometimes. Yeah.
0: Let's get into some fun stuff as we get ready to close out the program, coach. um, If I were to give you a magic wand, you can wave it over anything in college basketball. You can make a rule change, a policy change, whatever you want in the great game of men's college basketball. What are you going for? I would eliminate some of the workout times,
2: maybe in the summer. I think football has it figured out where they have some more downtime and some of the Olympic sports where they can't be with their athletes I think sometimes as we grow each year and year, coaches want to do more, practice more, do more. There's only so much tread on the tire. I think we're wearing bodies down too much. And I learned this this year in the NBA where they just shut the gym down. I think we're training too much. I think players need a chance to be students. And I know the portals change that. I think they need to just do some other things and recharge themselves. I don't think they need to be in the gym so much. I think it leads to injuries. Uh, because we're overtraining. I think they need to not hear our voice sometimes, and we don't need to hear their voice sometimes. I think we need some separation in a positive way. So I would like to restrict some of those opportunities to work out with players, because I think that would be better. And in conjunction with that, when we do practice, I think all people on your staff should be allowed on the floor to coach and help because I think it grows the younger coaches and gives them more opportunities in their development that they can lead to another position for them. All right. Best book you've ever read. Best book I ever read. I've read a lot. I've read a lot, but I'm going to go to the energy bus and I read okay. that. I, read, I come back and read it because I'm a half full guy, not a half empty guy. And we joke about that sometimes in our family and everything, but uh, it's a short book. It's an easy book, but I don't want any energy vampires in my life. I don't want them around. I don't want to see it. Don't bring me down. Put a smile on your face. Come on, come on. Let's let's find a way or make a way. Let's make it work. Let's have a good day. You know, something can go wrong here or there, but so that's that one I go back to. And it's, it's yeah. a recent book
0: still yet, but uh, I think that's the way it's got to be. Give us your dream dinner party. You and three guests. Who's it going to be? Me and three guests. Okay.
2: I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take, uh, my family out of it. All right. Um, I'm going to put Larry bird, um, big fan of Larry bird. I'm going to put Barack Obama in there. And my third is going to be my third. That's a, Great question. My third is going to be, probably because I'm such a big Steeler fan, Bill Cowher. Excellent. But Larry Bird, Barack Obama, and... Bill Coward. Now it's a wide range. That's different. Yeah. Larry's probably going to have a Budweiser. Um, <laughs> Bill Coward's going to, we're going to all sit to the side of Bill because he's going to spit on us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Barack, the Barack's just going to give us his knowledge.
1: <laughs> he's going to hit you with wisdom nuggets every, every, you know, 10 minutes he'll speak and it'll exactly. be. Exactly. You know, what one crazy one, you know, Donnie, I don't know if you know this or not, but Barack Obama's brother in law, Craig Robinson, is the head of the NABC, our coaches association. And um, this year at the NAI coaches meeting, I- I've been doing this now, whatever, 16, 17 years, uh, Division II NAI levels pretty much. And I've never seen the NABC president come into a, a sort of a lower level meeting, right, and and have a presence. And Craig came in, uh, him and Nate Pomade, who works with him, that I actually coached with him back in the CCAC days. Donnie, you might remember that. He was at Calumet College of St. John. Nate was a head coach there when I was coming up, nice. as but anyway, I thought it was really cool that, that Craig came in. Uh, and that said a lot about, about who he is and, and that, you know, he's really interested in the whole levels of basketball, not just about making sure, you know, division one is, is humming well. So that, that was kind of cool. So That's uh, neat. a little sidebar on that, but I think good people run with good people. So yes. I think, uh, I think that was good. All right. Basketball side, you're up three. Uh, yeah. the other team has the ball full court and the bonus. Are you going to foul or you're not going to foul? Going to foul. Every I'm time. Foul.
2: Yes. Yes. And I've gone back and forth on that over the years, but, uh, I've seen too many and been on the side where a banked in shot and then we yeah. lose in overtime. I'm going to foul and put them on the line. <laughs>
1: What was, when, when you were, this just my own curiosity, when you're with the Spurs, what what's their philosophy in the NBA? Different than college or
2: the same? No, same, but um, it's harder because the team can call the timeout and advance the ball. So right. now you're getting it into play, and it's a little bit tricky because well, the and they're in a shooting motion. Yeah. So we worked on that. If they didn't have an advancement, then you do foul. But if it's at the half court and to bring it into play, there were some moments where we wanted to foul, but be careful. Yeah. Out on the catch before it gets an emotion. Some of those guys are really talented to get the ball up in a motion. And, and now you're getting free, three free throws.
1: Yeah. I don't remember what game, that playoff game the other night, that happened and they talked. Should've got, it was a Celtics game or whatever they thought yep. they should've gotten and probably right. won. and I'm like to the spectators, right. I it sure looked like a shooting motion to me, but risky business there. So, but, um, all right, coach, any other sport besides basketball? So take yep. basketball off the table. Yep. And you can be a, a coach in any other sport. What would it
2: be and why? I would be a special team coach in football. I think the special teams coach, uh, you know, the energy guy on the sideline, that, yeah. <laughs> that uh, maybe we can go for an onside kick when they're not expecting it, or maybe we, uh, you know, we got a little wedge formation and we're going to uh, hand, I mean, uh, lateral on the kickoff on the return and. I just love special teams coaches. I think they're energized. <laughs> they're, they're enthused. They're a little bit goofy maybe sometimes, but they're putting some rules yeah. now in the football where the special teams play, the kickoffs at least, aren't really effective anymore. But I always said I'd be a special teams coach in, in in football.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're not effective, but it's always funny. I'm just keeping my eye on the Patriots because I bet you they're going to find a way to make yes. them <laughs> make them effective yeah. still, right? So exactly. Somehow exactly. they'll crack the code on that. Donnie, I got, I got one more here, and then you can – wrap up with with what we need but um coach you think about the landscape of of coaching and and i'll say pro college it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me pick pick three people that you would say are people that you really look up to and and view as sort of you know may not even be somebody you know Mm -hmm. intimately but Mm -hmm. just you really look to them as, as sort of a mentor and a guidepost for for the way you do things
2: you know uh coach pop greg popovich obviously, um, has done so much and how he's done it. And I've seen some things he's done behind the scenes. Uh, So it's it's amazing what he has accomplished and how he's done it. And if you look throughout the NBA, his tree is so far grown out there. It's amazing. And when I was down there, Tim Duncan was there. Manu Ginobili was there. Tony Parker came back. You had so many. David Robinson, and they love him and they love him, and uh, not just because he won, it's because of who he is. I think uh, Coach Krzyzewski has done so much for the game, and I got to know him a little bit, actually through our son in USA Basketball and having the academy background. I developed a little bit of a relationship with him there, too, and uh, it it was neat to, to see how he has progressed through his career and how long he did it and how he did it pretty much the right way I would say so that that's really neat there and then I had a chance to uh work with uh Tommy Amaker at Michigan uh for a few years and uh just such a good person you know how he treated everybody and successful and an unbelievable coach who's now at Harvard but he also has done some really good things uh For people along the way and i'll throw a fourth and not a fourth they're not in order but jim boone who i work for and give me the start um and how he coaches and develops players and i always say every coach who who started who starts should work for him because he does it the right way and teaches you how to prepare and so those guys uh, are really important and there's so
0: many others but those come to my mind Dave Pilipovich from New Mexico has been our guest on this week's episode of the Program Builders. Coach, thanks so much for your insights Thank into college God. basketball
2: and spend some time with us. Thank you all so much. I appreciate what you do and how you do it. Thank you.